0: Hi, I'm Brian Pearson. This is The Mystic Cave. We were born before the wind, also younger than the sun. And our modern boat was won as we sailed into the Mystic. The The Mystic Cave is a sanctuary for the seeker. Stories, conversations, and reflections about the spiritual journey on the other side of churchland. Through the summer months, I'm offering something a little lighter than our usual fare. This is because I need to take a break from producing a weekly program and because you might enjoy some summertime storytelling to take with you onto the back deck or out on a road trip. Each week, I'll be reading from How the Light Gets In, a collection of my short stories published by the Anglican Book Centre back in 1999. Despite my urge to do some major rewriting, I've tried to leave these stories pretty much as they were, except where I couldn't help myself. I'll release two stories a week, one on Sunday and one on Thursday. If you don't want to miss a story, be sure to subscribe on whatever format you use for your podcasts. And while you're at it, give the podcast a rating. That helps spread the word. I hope you enjoy these homespun tales as we all take our summer sun. A Prayer Stool for Paul Father David has a prayer stool in his study. You have to admire a priest who has a prayer stool in his study. These days, you have to admire a priest who prays, period. It frustrates the popular perception, I know, but apart from Sundays and holidays, most priests don't pray. They get up in the morning, shower, grab a cup of coffee, and then go to the office, just like most of their parishioners. The only difference is that sometimes the office is downstairs rather than downtown. A normal weekday might include promising to pray for a troubled parishioner, or putting the finishing touches on the prayers for an upcoming ecumenical worship service, or leading the evening prayer and meditation group. But it is the exception rather than the rule that priests start their day on their knees, petitioning the good graces of a supreme being without whom, after all, they wouldn't have a job. Father David has a prayer stool in his study, though, and he actually uses it for prayer. This has been his daily practice since his divinity school days. He's someone who likes routine. Living in residence at the university— Every morning began the same way. He would swish down to the dining hall for breakfast in his academic gown, take a coffee to the graduate student lounge for a selective read of the Globe and Mail, and then make his way to the chapel, arriving precisely at 8.25. This was the time the student officiant for a day would usually rush into the sacristy, glance at the instructions left by the chaplain, rummage through the closet for an alb their size, throw it over their head, emerge a few moments later to light the candles, then kneel at the prayer desk, only to discover they'd left their prayer book back in the sacristy. Eventually, they would settle down to lead the dozen or so students and faculty who had gathered for the daily office of Matins. By virtue of his consistency— Sitting in the same place day after day, aisle seat, third pew, epistle side, and because he himself was a stickler for liturgical detail, David proved a godsend to the first-year students. They were each expected to officiate at the morning service and were graded on their performance by the dean, a small dark man in a black academic gown who sat at the back, actually taking notes. But few had the panache to carry it off. Each day, David would end up leaning forward to answer their whispered, last-minute questions. You light the epistle candle first, then the gospel candle, he would remind them. The gospel candle is the one on the left. Mid-service, when a neophyte officiant became confused and lost his way, David would give a discreet nod, telepathically directing him to, Sit down now. This was a job for which David had never applied to which he had never been appointed and for which he never received any official thanks. His reward, as they say, is great in heaven, meaning simply that almost ten years later, he is still saying the daily office every morning while most of his classmates break out in a cold sweat just thinking about it. Of course, Father David has the advantage of coming from a family of clergy. His father was a parish priest, his grandfather a bishop. Every morning of his life, he saw his father dip a piece of dry toast into a cup of black coffee while standing at the kitchen door, then kiss his mother and make his way across the yard to the church for morning prayer. Most mornings, the young David knew, his father prayed alone, though it was announced in the bulletin and on the roadside sign, Morning Prayer, weekdays at 7.30 a.m., Saturdays at 9 a.m., all welcome. The Saturday adjustment was a concession to people's work lives and to their apparent need to grab a few extra minutes of sleep on the weekends, but the gesture was in vain. Even the altar guild, arriving Saturday mornings to prepare the church for Sunday, would assemble in the kitchen, waiting for David's father, kneeling alone in the church to finish saying his prayers, as they called it, before getting down to their work. The prayer stool was David's own innovation. He had bumped into one, almost literally, during a divinity-class retreat at the Order of the Incarnation, an Anglican monastery in upstate New York. For formal prayer, the monks sat collegiate-style, facing one another across a stone chancel. The guests sat in the nave, facing forward. But in the apse, tucked away, out of sight, behind the high altar, was a tiny chapel, just right for private prayer. There was a miniature sanctuary containing an altar, a credence table, and a prayer desk, but otherwise the little chapel was unfurnished. Midway through the morning, depending on the season, a small stained glass window high above the altar permitted one single beam of light that lit a spot in the middle of the chapel floor. It was here that Brother Nat, a former Vietnamese Buddhist monk, practiced his daily meditation on a low wooden prayer stool. David came upon him suddenly and quite by accident while exploring the chapel. He had been told if he wanted to see how a sacristy ought to be designed, he should see the one at the monastery. In search of the sacristy, he ventured down the long corridor outside the chancel. Rounding the corner at the end, he entered the apse, and almost fell over Brother Nat, who was kneeling motionless in the middle of the chapel floor. It impressed David that Brother Nat showed not the slightest awareness of his presence, even as David teetered precariously above him trying to regain his balance. The little monk was clearly beyond earthly disturbance. David stole a hasty retreat, but not before noticing the simple stool on which the tranquil monk rested. It consisted of three slim boards, one for the seat, the other two for the supports. The seat, Angled slightly forward, supported the weight of the monk while allowing him to tuck his feet beneath the seat in a low kneeling posture. It was a natural hybrid of the traditional pew kneeler, which inevitably strains your back and hurts your knees, and the lotus position, which places you on a cold, drafty floor, causing your arthritic joints to flare up. It accommodated in a wonderful economy both physical relief and inner attentiveness. The twin needs of a true man of prayer. Later that day, David happened upon Brother Nat out in the vegetable garden, turning over the long rows that had recently produced carrots and turnips, the sleeves of his habit rolled up to his elbows. David didn't know his name and didn't want to call out to him without it, so he just stood nearby, watching. Brother Nat finally straightened up, placing both hands on his lower back. "'Hi there,' David said." Brother Nat shielded his eyes from the sun and looked in the direction of the voice. I, I, "'I came across you this morning in the little chapel. I hope I didn't disturb you.' The little monk smiled. It was difficult to determine his age. His body was taut like a young man's, and his face was open and round. But the lines were deep at the corners of his eyes, and David noticed the tell-tale brown spots of age on the backs of his hands.' I was wondering about that prayer stool you use, David continued. It looked really useful. Where does one get something like that? The monk's expression grew serious. He thought for a moment. What you ask, not easy thing. I see. He nodded and smiled and nodded again and then went back to his work. David stood for a moment uncertain about what had just transpired between them. The monk looked back at him. I see, he said again, nodding. David thanked him and gave a slight bow, though this was certainly not his custom, and then walked away, trying to look nonchalant. Well, that was that then. Two days later, the retreat was ending, and David and the others were assembling their bags in the large vestibule, waiting for the bus that would take them home. Everyone's spirits were high and Brother Raymond, the guest master, was being his jovial self, asking if there were any takers for the religious life. The life was hard, he said, but the pay was no good. Everyone laughed. Suddenly, Brother Nat appeared, looking flustered. He surveyed the small crowd for a moment, a sea of white faces. When he saw David, he tilted his head as if to ask, Are you the one? When David smiled, the monk smiled back. He approached him. For you, the monk said, and he handed David a prayer stool. He gave him a low bow and turned to walk away. <laughs> Thank you, David said. Thank you very much. The small monk looked over his shoulder, smiling, a sparkle in his eyes. He nodded again and then disappeared. The stool was new, with the outdoor smell of freshly cut pine It consisted of three slim boards arranged as a seat with two supports, just like the one David had seen Brother Nat using. The supports were attached to the underside of the seat not by screws, but by doweling that had been inserted through the seat, glued and then sanded smooth. The dimensions of the stool achieved a perfect harmony between form and function. David rode home on the bus with the prayer stool on his lap running his fingers over the clean joints and the sanded surfaces. Father David was prouder of this possession than just about anything else he owned. Once at a clergy conference, in a workshop titled Faith Priorities for Personal and Professional Fulfillment, he was asked, if his house was on fire and he could retrieve only one possession, what would that be? He thought first of the piano, which was dumb. He thought of his and Beverly's photo albums, but then it hit him the stool. That's what he would go back into a burning house to get. Every morning, Father David kneels at his prayer stool and says the daily office. There, amongst the psalms and the readings, the collects and canticles, his soft voice rises and mingles with the crashing cacophony of Beverly in the kitchen next door. She is the very model of domestic industry, boiling the kettle, slicing the fruit, turning the bacon as it sizzles in the pan, giving the toaster lever that firm double-click that makes it take hold, all in the inimitable way she does everything, with zest, with the clashing of dishes and the slamming of cupboard doors, with the radio announcer droning away unheeded, and Beverly herself humming a merry tune. None of this is a distraction to Father David, though. He long ago accepted it in the one big love with which he has allowed Beverly to enfold his life— into hers. If the truth were known, he is probably happiest in this their morning ritual, this daily offering of their very different selves to God. Miraculously, neither Paul nor Catherine, their two children, are awakened by the morning sounds of their mother in the kitchen. They take it all in in the final moments of sleep wherein from some floating billowy cloud A drawer full of cutlery descends, scattering in slow motion across a tiled floor. They raise their sleepy heads from their pillows, recognize as from a distant land the familiar sounds of morning, and then drift back to sleep. One morning last week, Paul, who is five, appeared in the doorway of his father's study, his blankie in tow. He stood sleepily for a moment watching his dad kneeling at the prayer stool, What are you doing, Dad? he asked. David looked around. Hi, bud. What are you doing up? Paul rubbed his eyes and yawned. I'm saying my prayers, David told him. Do you want to join me? No, Paul answered. What do you do? he asked, walking over. David got himself up off his knees and sat down in his desk chair. He held out his hands. Paul shuffled over and leaned into his dad's chest. Well, I read the Bible, David said. I talk to Jesus, and then I write a little in my journal. Paul thought about this for a few moments. I have a journal, too, he said. I let people look at it if they want. I draw in it, mostly. Paul gently pushed himself off his dad and walked unsteadily toward the door. There he paused and turned back. Could I have a stool like yours? David smiled. We'll see, he said. That day, after lunch, Father David visited the lumber store. Making his way slowly along the racks of pre-cut lumber, he picked up board after board, turning each one over in his hands, until he came to a piece of unblemished pine. He got some wood glue, a new bit for his drill, and some quarter-inch doweling. That evening after supper, he went out to the garage and began. The seat would have to be longer than the supports, though not too long, The supports had to be cut so that the seat would be angled slightly forward. He considered using the router to help position the supports in grooves under the seat, but then thought better of it. He wrote out fractions on some scrap cardboard with his carpenter's pencil until each measurement was exact. He cut the pieces with his power saw and positioned them for fit and size. Yesterday, Paul again stumbled into the study to look in on his dad. There on the floor, beside where his dad was kneeling, was a prayer stool, a little smaller than his dad's. David looked around at his son and smiled at him. Paul went out of the room, returning a few minutes later with his sketchpad journal. As his dad resumed his prayers, Paul sat down next to him on his stool, his knees drawn up in front of him, and started to draw. From the kitchen came the cheery sounds of Beverly singing. And when that fog on blows I will be coming home And when that fog on blows I want to hear it I don't want to fear it And I want to rock your tips I've been reading from my book, How the Light Gets In, a collection of short stories. I'll be rolling out two stories a week in the Mystic Cave through the summer months, and then returning to an interview format come the fall when we'll be turning our attention to views of death and dying on the other side of Churchland. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch, you can write to me personally at mysticcaveman53 at gmail.com. As always... Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Pearson. This has been The Mystic Cave. But